You might have heard this kind of story before, but there was a man, and he wanted to become a monk. So he went to the monastery, and he went to talk to the, the head monk at the monastery. And the head monk said to him, well, if you want to become a monk, you must take a vow of silence. You can only say two words every three years. Yeah. Woof. The man agreed, and after the first three years, the head monk came to him. He said, what are your two words? He said, food, cold. Three more years went by, and the head monk came to him again, and he said, what are your two words? He said, robe, dirty. Three more years went by, and the head monk came to him again. He said, what are your two words? The monk replied, I quit. Well, the head monk said, I'm not surprised, because you've done nothing but complain since you arrived here. Yeah, I like that, that joke. It's a funny joke. It, one thing, I know I could never be a monk. I'd be out of the door the first 10 minutes probably if I had to take a vow of silence. But as I'm looking at what Jesus is doing here and what Jesus is saying here, I was thinking about this. This popped into my head. And, and then two things kind of came up to question, as a question for me. Right? The first thing, I, I wanted to put it out to all of you. If you had a limited amount of words that you could say, maybe not to this extent, but let's just say you had a limited amount of words to say, what would you say to people and why? That's different, right, when we think about that. What would be impressed upon our hearts? What would we feel that we, we wouldn't want to, to waste this period of time? What would we say and why would we say it? I'll let you think about that as we go through this, this passage. The second thing that came, came to my mind is I had to scratch my head because why on earth would followers of Jesus Christ ever in a million years take a vow of silence? Why would we ever say that we're not going to say anything, especially about Jesus Christ? I would think that it's the opposite, right? We, we should not be able to keep our mouths closed about the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And that's exactly what we see Jesus Christ doing in this passage here today. We have to remember, this is his final gospel call and challenge to the public. Listen to how this begins. And Jesus cried aloud. Jesus cried aloud. It means to make a vehement cry. It means to communicate something in a loud voice. It means to call out. Jesus had just said to them, they're going to have the light for just a little bit longer. And whether he comes out of hiding or this happens before he goes into hiding, John places this at the end of his public ministry for a very, very important reason. Jesus is once again 
calling people to faith in him and explaining what belief and unbelief look like and what are the results of both. There's a sense of urgency with Jesus. There's a passion and there's a conviction. And you and I are to emulate him. We are to have that same passion. We are to have that same conviction. We are to have that same sense of urgency that people need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And no matter what is happening around us, no matter how many people are not believing, you and I need to continue to proclaim that truth. Because that is what is going to save people. And not only are we to emulate what Jesus does here, not not saying that after this message you all go out into the public square and start, you know, carrying the signs and stuff like that. Not only are we to emulate his, 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 what he's doing, we can't change the content. We are to keep the content of what Jesus says. One, one guy says that what Jesus says here is his, his main body of teaching, and I agree with that to a certain extent, but what we do see here is the major aspects of the content of the gospel and what people are to believe and what happens if you don't. Jesus breaks this up really into two, two parts or two individuals, and we're going to look at those two individuals. The first individual that we're going to look at is the one who believes in verses 44 through 47. Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. He who sees me sees the one who sent me. I have come as light into the world, so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I I don't judge him. I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. As I said, as we look at the content of this, what we begin to see is the key aspects of what it means to believe in Jesus. And definitely, it's going to point us eventually to the cross, and we're going to get to that at the end of this passage. But we see that we have to keep this content, that that, the Jesus that, that you and I proclaim has to match the Jesus that is revealed here in Scripture. Has to match it. And the one that you and I are to cry out to the world must be the same Jesus that he reveals about himself here. Jesus is revealing who he is, why he's come, and what he can do for people, and the result of rejecting him as well. See how that's all kind of working out there? We have to keep the content, and we cannot be ashamed of who he is. We cannot change certain aspects or beliefs or not talk about them just because people disagree or people may not like them. We look at this first part of what Jesus is saying, and it brings up some research that's been being done uh, pretty recently. Lifeway Research and Ligonier Ministries Uh, once again teamed up to examine the theological awareness, or lack thereof, of American evangelicals. 
Uh, this time, instead of defining evangelical by whether participants identify as such, they used a, a, a different definition that was endorsed by the National Association of Evangelicals. Here are some of the questions that were asked, and here are some of the areas that evangelical Christians in America have gone astray from. So here we are. Individuals must contribute to their own salvation. That's the question. We must contribute. How many people said yes? What's the percentage? 50% evangelicals? Let's go with 74%. 74% of people said they, they, can, they need to contribute something to their own salvation. That's insanity. I, and I, I'm hoping these numbers are wrong, but here we go. Here's the next one. Jesus, and this is the one we're going to focus on with regards to what Jesus says about himself right here. Jesus is the first and greatest created being by God. So, Jesus did not exist as the second person of the Trinity. Jesus is not God. How many percentage agree? 71%. 71% of people agree with that. How about the Holy Spirit is a force, not a personal being? 56%. How about God accepting the worship of all religions? All religions, and if you're sincere in those religions, 48% of evangelicals says that's, that's, that's good, that's allowed. What's happening? What? Who's the Jesus we're proclaiming in our churches? 71% say that Jesus was, that's the first time he existed, but he's the greatest created being. What does Jesus say here? What has John been saying since the very beginning? Jesus is is God. Jesus is God incarnate in the flesh. Jesus has existed for all time. The second person of the Trinity came down, took the form of man to suffer and die for you and me. Listen to what he says. If you believe in me, you believe in God. If you see me, you have seen God. You and I cannot have an understanding of God the Father apart from Jesus Christ, His Son. And that is the message that you and I are to continue to proclaim in this world that is believing in so many different gods and so many different Jesuses, I'll tell you that. Maybe you didn't know this, but before St. Nicholas was handing out presents, he was dishing out slaps. So I'm sorry, I, I always wanted to use the Batman slapping Robin meme in my sermon, so now I've accomplished that. It's all done. I could check that off my bucket list. But here, So here's the deal. Uh, St. Nicholas, this is legend, by the way. Um, however... It was said that Nicholas was in the, at the Council of Nicaea. So the Council of Nicaea is where we get our Nicene Creed from. And Arius, Arius was there, and Arius was saying a heresy. And I think we've, we've become afraid of using that word in the church. There's heresies, and guess what? 
They're being preached from the pulpit all the time. And the heresy was that Jesus was not God, that he was kind of like God. He was similar to God. And Nicholas got so upset and he just said, you know, no, Arius, that's not true at all. The, the funny thing is, is when the people were asked about the created being aspect of Jesus, you would have thought that the people who were coming to church were the ones who would not agree as much, right? It's the opposite. It was the people who are sitting in the pews, hearing week after week messages about, hopefully, Jesus, the right Jesus, 68%. 68% of those who attend church more frequently are saying Jesus is a created being that should blow our minds. What's happened? We become ashamed of doctrine. Remember, Jesus isn't, Jesus isn't teaching this in a Sunday school. He's proclaiming this in the public square. I'm God. If you believe in me, you believe in God. I'm the only way. When they were asked, pastors said, the reason why they don't preach on the Trinity and aspects like this is, guess what? It's not practical enough. I tell you what, folks. The more and more I see what is happening in our churches, I think the road to hell is going to be paved with sermons and messages that were very, very practical, but not theological. It doesn't get any more practical than salvation and trusting in Jesus Christ, who is God incarnate. The reason why we did creeds, you know why we did creeds early on? The reason why we did creeds was to combat heresy. They had to look at what was happening and they said, we can't allow this to happen. We, we need to formulate a body of truth so that people understand who Jesus is, you know, and, and how, how we are interpreting what he says about himself. Listen to what they came up with out of the Council of Nicaea. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten. They chose that word for a reason. God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, one in being with the Father. They're saying, look, if you can't if you don't get it now, how many times did they say Jesus is God in there? Like three or four times, right? They're doing that for a reason. Because they are communicating the body of truth that needs to be communicated about Jesus Christ. You and I have to do the same. We have to. We can't apologize for it. Not only is it a change of, of what we're thinking and how we think about God, it's a change of morality. Believing in Jesus Christ changes who we are, how we respond to this world, and changes us, brings us out of darkness into light. Listen to what Jesus says here. I have come as light into the world, so that everyone who believes in me will not remain 
in darkness. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to do that. That's a picture, those, those guys down there. You see, I don't know if I mentioned this before. Uh, these are individuals that live in tunnels in, Las, in uh, Las Vegas. Underground flood tunnels. There's a community of people that live in underground flood tunnels. There's 700 people that live down there. Day in and day out, they spend their time down there. Uh, they deal with the black widow spiders, mosquitoes, rats, and so on and so on. They say it's cooler than the streets, but most importantly, the cops don't bother them down there. They formed a collection of uh, this community around an artist where they have this art gallery of graffiti. And the guy telling the story about these guys says, in some way, it's a vivid picture of life in this world, isn't it? The world is in darkness. There's danger. And people find community in that darkness and evading the law. Remember what Jesus said earlier to Nicodemus, light has come into the world, but men have loved the darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light, will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. That is living in Sin City. That's what Las Vegas is, right? Sin City. So what's the change? It's a visible change, isn't it? It's a visible change from an individual living in those tunnels, living in darkness, living in sin, to living in light. Jesus says, I have come as the light. He's making a declaration. And what is he saying when he says that? He's saying this world is in darkness. And you cannot understand this world. You cannot understand God. You cannot understand really anything apart from my light. You will not have a grasp or a real understanding of what is going on inside of you and what is going on in this world apart from me. It's a moral change. It's repentance. And what you and I need to proclaim is this same very thing. That we are, we're in darkness. The, you know what the problem in this world is right now? The problem is our hearts. That's the problem. People are running around trying to fix all the effects of the problem. This is the problem, and there's only one individual who can cure that problem, and his name is Jesus Christ. And we can't be ashamed of that truth. I'll tell you right now what's happening is this world is crying out for you to come into their darkness. They are crying out their own gospel message. They are pulling people into the opposite of what Jesus wants for their lives. They have a gospel. And they're calling evil good and good evil. Darkness. They want you 
to come down and live in those tunnels and die there. We have to cry it out louder. We have to warn individuals of where they are headed. And we have to let them know, hey, I was there too. I understand. It seems like it's good. It seems like it's right. And I know everyone else is headed down to those tunnels. Don't follow them there. Belief in Jesus Christ is a moral change. It's a reflection of what he did for us. We can't say that we are believers in Jesus Christ and live in those tunnels. That's what he says. It doesn't mean, don't get me wrong, it doesn't mean we don't pop in and visit, right, once in a while, because we do. Old habits die hard. Sinful habits die hard. But what he's saying is you don't remain there. You don't stay there. You're not camping out there. You're not living there. You're not abiding there. Notice what begins uh, to take shape here and as we move on to this next part. Uh, I included this because the positive, you, you come out into the light, you come out from the darkness, and then you walk in obedience. So even though this is the next verse, is a, it's a transition verse to where Jesus starts to get into this idea of judgment and what it looks like to be an unbeliever. I wanted to include this in the aspect of what it means to believe or what it looks like as a believer, because if, if what he says about the unbeliever, if anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, hold on to them, obey them, walk in them, or follow them, then the opposite should be true for the believer, shouldn't it? If what he says about the unbeliever is someone who does not, who hears his sayings and doesn't do what? Doesn't keep them. He doesn't listen to what Jesus is saying. The opposite should be true for the believer. So the one who does believe keeps his sayings, and I would say, affirm his say affirms these sayings and allows his sayings or his teaching to do what? To shape his life. Do we see what's developing here? And you're going to see this in, in just a few verses, you are unable to separate Jesus Christ from his word. Do you see what he says here? If anyone hears what I say and doesn't keep them, I don't judge them. So he's comparing or he's paralleling belief in what he says about who he is and what he can do to belief in himself. We cannot preach Jesus Christ apart from his teachings in Scripture. And we are doing it all over the place every Sunday. We are separating Jesus Christ from who he reveals himself to be. And we're not making the demands that Jesus Christ is making on his disciples that we've seen throughout John. And we're saying, oh, okay, you know, and what we're beginning to say almost is, you know what, I know you've come to save the world, but we need to do a little saving for you, Jesus. We're going to save you from embarrassment, Jesus. We're going to save you from people turning away from you, Jesus. So we're going to take this little teaching right here. We're just going to 
We're going to put that right over there. We, that's not going to fly, Jesus. That teaching isn't going to work right now, Jesus. So we're going to, or we're not going to talk about that. Or you know what? We're going to do a nice little cop out. You know what we're going to say? We're going to say, I'm not God. I don't know what it says about that. Well, I can tell you what it says about that because it's like in page right here in the Gospel of John. Jesus talks about it. And that's what we're doing. And we are trying to promote a Jesus Christ apart from Scripture. It's impossible. It's impossible. That's not who Jesus is. And I try to avoid Facebook. Facebook is like a car crash. Like you, you, you have to look at it and you're like, oh, I need to keep driving, but I can't stop. Facebook is a mess. It's just a, a disaster. And I'm going on Facebook and it is, abs- especially in, in light of what has just taken place, it is blowing my mind at what Christians are affirming in the public. And they're affirming the very things that God hates. And these are supposed Christians. And people are seeing them, they're like, well, maybe Jesus ain't half bad after all. Maybe I can go to church. I can believe in that, Jesus. Hey, if your Jesus allows that, man, I'm, I'm game. Uh-uh. That Facebook is like the, one of the worst things that's ever happened because anyone can say anything on Facebook. I mean, you can, I could do, I could like do a whole seminar on Facebook, right? I could say a whole bunch of stuff and I could get a whole bunch of followers. And if I have the right buzzwords, if I do the right things, if I agree with the right things, people are going to follow me all over the place. I wonder if they'd follow Jesus if he was on Facebook, given a little podcast, a little teaching. I think there'd be a lot of those angry faces. Folks, we, can't, we cannot separate who he is from what he says. We can't do it. This is what's going to make or break us. It's happening right now presenting a false Jesus Christ. And if you present a false gospel, that gospel can't save you. Jesus has come to do what? Save the world from itself, from sin and from judgment. And the one who rejects him will be judged. Comes to our next part. The one who rejects, verses 48 through 50. He who rejects me, and notice what he does again, and does not do what? Receive my sayings. So once again, rejecting what he says is rejecting who he is. Has one who judges him, the word that I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. For, because I did not... Speak on my own initiative. But the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. Guy tells a story about his wife uh, getting a job. As when they were dating, she worked as a temp in a, in a bank. 
He said in the first two weeks that she had the job, she quickly noticed extremely unprofessional behavior among the team of four people that she worked with, uh, as well as their supervisor who was over these individuals. The supervisor who was of the older generation was friendly with the younger staff. They would like to chit-chat a lot, take long coffee breaks. The college-age staff would sit on her desk and they talk about nonsense stuff and also gossip about other people. The supervisor and her team were so tight together in this group uh, that the group's behavior towards one new member that came on board was a stark contrast. They rejected this person from the start. This woman who was in her 30s had just come on staff a week before this guy's wife. She was absolutely shunned by them. She would walk up to them and try to join their conversation and offer her own insight. And as soon as she did, they would break up and the conversation ended. The, the little clique, uh, including the supervisor, made jokes about her, laugh about her behind her back, and they even made fun of the way she dressed. They would roll their eyes at each other and wink when she was in their presence. It was obvious that this middle management person was just an intrusion into their life. No, we don't want you. We're going to keep going the way we're going. Two weeks into the temp job, the wife walked into the office. It was Monday morning. And she was absolutely surprised to find a much different scenario. There was no gossiping. There's no joking around. No long coffee breaks. All the workers had their eyes riveted on their work. And someone was missing. The supervisor. The cliquish team, however, addressed this new supervisor with formal business-like respect. However, it wasn't a new supervisor. You know who it was? It was the woman, the 30-year-old that came in and was rejected by those people. And she was hired to be the supervisor the entire time. She's like the undercover boss. I'm sure you guys watched that show. Because she wanted to see how they interacted. Folks, I think a lot of times that's exactly the way people are treating Jesus Christ. No, 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 Jesus. You're just an intrusion into my little happy existence right here. I don't want to hear what you have to say, Jesus. And they go about their business and they think that absolutely there is nothing that is going to happen. And then one day, that's it. Notice what Jesus says here, it is, it, it is absolutely essential that you and I include this in our gospel cry, because it is a cry of hope, it is a cry of salvation, it's a cry of love, but it's a cry of judgment. It's a cry of judgment that one day you can't keep rejecting Jesus. He's coming back, and the very words 
that you have rejected, that you've said, no, 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 they're archaic, Jesus. No, 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 they're not for me, Jesus. No, 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 you're wrong, Jesus. Those words are going to stand in judgment over you. That's what he says. It's terrible, it's sad, but it is ironic. Rejecting Jesus Christ now is going to lead to judgment later on. And we can't be afraid to proclaim that message. People need to hear it. Because the world is proclaiming a very, very different gospel. It's not a gospel of judgment. It's a gospel that leads to it. And they want us to stop proclaiming it. And they're going to do everything in their power to try to stop us. But we can't do it. Remember, this is Jesus' final public cry. And it's a cry of judgment. It's a warning. He warns them. He says, look, there's coming a time where you can't say no anymore. There's coming a time where the words that you're hearing now are going to stand in judgment over you. And the reason why Jesus is saying this is because His words have the backing of God Almighty. What Jesus says is what the Father told Him to say. That's what He says here. I didn't speak. Jesus is saying, look, I, I, these things that I am saying, I didn't make up on my own initiative. These are the words that God Himself has commanded me to say. God is coming, came down to earth, took the form of a man and is calling out to people to say, hey, look, stop living in the darkness. There's coming a time where you're going to be held accountable for your sin. Believe in Jesus. Believe in Him. He has the backing of the Father. They have pronounced their own condemnation by not accepting His truth. The word in which they dismiss becomes their judge. It reminds me of Second Peter and there's a verse in Second Peter and says that by his word, the present heavens and the earth are reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment, the destruction of ungodly individuals. What is the context of when he says that? What does he say previously? Context, we're going to be talking about a lot of that in our class. It's in the context he begins that part by saying, in the last days there will be mockers. Mockers. In the last days, people are going to mock you for what you believe, for the words that you're holding on to. And what are they going to say? He says, they're going to say, where's the promise of His coming? 
Where is he? Everything's been going honky-dory. Ah, we have a little hiccups here and there, but it's great. It's all been the same. Nothing's happening. Where is he? And he says it, un- it escapes their notice. That the earth was created by his word and that the earth is now reserved by his word for the day of judgment. Christians, hold fast. There's a day coming. They're going to mock. They're going to continue to mock. We've been told they are going to mock. But judgment will come and the tables will be turned. But our goal is to bring people out of that reality before it happens. That's our goal. We have to let people know they cannot continue to reject Jesus. Everything that comes out of Jesus' mouth is backed by God the Father. Rejecting Jesus Christ is rejecting eternal life. And that's what he says. His commandment leads to what? Eternal life. How does it lead to eternal life? Well, Jesus was absolutely obedient to everything that God told him to say. And I would say, even in the way that he says it, and everything that God asked him to do, right? His obedience led to the cross. You and I disobeyed, didn't we? Multiple times. I disobeyed this morning. I'm sure in some form or fashion. Jesus obeyed. And Jesus took our judgment. Believing in Him, placing our trust in Him, placing our trust in His sacrifice for us leads to eternal life. In Christ there is no condemnation. They're wrong for those who say we contribute to our salvation. The only thing I contributed to my salvation is my sin that Jesus had to die for. Rejecting Jesus Christ is a rejection of eternal life. And it's a life that we should want for absolutely everybody out there. It's a truth that you and I should be proclaiming from the rooftops. We must cry out the words of Jesus now to save others from their judgment later. It's not just what Jesus is saying, it's what he's doing. No vows of silence, folks. People need to hear this truth. Because people right now are under the judgment of those very words that we just read. Father, help me, help all of us here to have the courage the love, the compassion, the boldness for individuals who do not know you, individuals who are fighting against us, individuals who may hate us, 
Help us to follow in Jesus' footsteps, like, just like we read here. Help us to cry out this truth. Help us to not be ashamed of this truth. Help us to hold fast to this truth. Lord, we ask for your grace and mercy for the individuals who are rejecting you. Have compassion on them like you have had on us. And Lord, we ask for your power and strength to do what you have called us to do here at Galilee. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.